0: Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is July the 17th, 2023. The Orioles are 57-35 and 35 after completing a sweep of the Miami Marlins on Sunday, a 5-4 victory, the eighth straight Orioles victory, setting a new high for winning streak so far this season. The game did end up getting a little ugly at the end, even with starting pitcher Kyle Bradish going seven and a third innings with no runs allowed. Perhaps another reminder that help may be needed for the bullpen as all-star pair Yenier Cano and Felix Bautista were each unavailable due to uh, pitching on Friday and Saturday as well. But the Orioles won the game despite getting only five hits overall. It was honestly kind of on the verge of being one of those losses, but it wasn't. Instead, it was one of those wins, which, you know, is kind of the 2023 Orioles specialty. Kyle Bradish, with that outing, has his ERA down to 3.05 for the season. Anthony Santander hit his 17th home run in the game, picked up two RBI to bring him up to 52 on the season. Both of those numbers lead the team. Even more exciting, in Kansas City, the Royals beat the Rays by an 8-4 to score, so the Orioles are now just one game back in the American League East, and they're actually ahead of the Rays in the loss column because the Rays have lost 36 games, although they have played more games and won those games. So when the Orioles get around to playing their extra games relative to what the Rays have right now, I guess we'll see if the Orioles can win and keep pace. But for now, the Orioles have played 56.8% of the 2023 regular season. They are on pace to win 100 games. They have a chance to be tied atop the American League East in games back uh, at the end of Monday if the Orioles can beat the Dodgers and if the Rays lose to their opponent, the Texas Rangers. The Orioles heading into this series against the NL West leading Dodgers will face a Dodgers team that has won seven of their last 10 games, although they did lose on Sunday. The Rays will be facing the AL West leading Texas Rangers. The Rangers are four and six over their last 10 games. So Texas, if you would like to do us a solid and turn that back around over the next few days, that would be very nice of you. Oh, and by the way, The New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox are tied for last place in the American League East, nine games back of the Rays, eight games back of our Baltimore Orioles. Yes, the Yankees and Red Sox are tied for last place. That is pretty freaking awesome. Okay, having given that a moment for us to sit with that, let's move on to some news that we found out about on Sunday, which is that the Monday Orioles starter is going to be Grayson Rodriguez. I thought maybe they were going to try and wait at least one turn coming out of the All-Star break before they brought him up there uh, back to the big leagues. But no, he's coming right back into it, throwing him right into the fire against the Dodgers team that entered Sunday's play second in the National League with a 785 OPS Notably, the Dodgers were only 11th in the National League in batting average, but still can be second in OPS due to having a whole lot of walks and a whole lot of home runs so far this season. Oh, gee, what has Grayson Rodriguez given up a lot of in the majors so far this season? Uh, walks and home runs. So I guess we're going to see what's going to happen with that. Brandon Hyde said of the Rodriguez promotion to Orioles reporters, quote, We're in the mindset of winning games right now, and hopefully he sticks in the rotation the rest of summer, end quote. Yes, Brandon Hyde, I am hoping for the same thing. Cole Irvin, in the meantime, has been sent to the bullpen. The Orioles have not given any public concern about Grayson Rodriguez coming across an innings pitch limit for the season. He currently sits at 86 and two-thirds innings pitched between Norfolk and Baltimore this year, and he... Has uh, well, I mean, I, you know, we don't know what what the limit is going to be. It could be that if Rodriguez is going to uh, throw, I don't know, another forty innings. Well, that's eight starts of five innings each. That takes you about two months, and that's not the end of the season. It's not the postseason. If we want to really get that excited about carrying forward, so yeah, I don't know what the Orioles' plan is with Rodriguez, but I hope that he can. Do well and stick in the rotation the rest of the summer, exactly as the manager said. Hyde also noted to Orioles reporters, quote, reports are that Rodriguez's command improved, end quote. Over the last six games, he walked a total of 10 batters across 31 and one-third innings pitched. Notably, he struck out 48 batters in that same time frame. So... Yeah, he's been going fairly deep into the games, or at least getting a deep pitch count. He's thrown 88 or more pitches in all but the most recent game he threw where it was a three-inning planned short start before the All-Star break. So yeah, his last game was July the 9th, so by the time he pitches on Monday night, it's going to be a full week between outings. I guess there will be a question, well, is that going to be a problem? I don't know. I hope not. As you know, if you've listened to this show from the beginning, I was very excited for Rodriguez coming into the season, and his results in his Oreo starts pierced that about as much as could be done. Well, no, I should take that back. Uh, it could be worse, I guess. If he was getting the D.L. Hall treatment, that would be even worse. At least Rodriguez did, in fact, rebound once getting sent down to AAA Norfolk, although in his first game back there. He did walk, uh, five batters, but things have been better literally ever since then. So yeah, I mean, can he carry that forward and do that against major league hitters again? It's not an easy task coming up to face the Dodgers right here. I guess you could say the Orioles are confident in Rodriguez that they are bringing him up to face a very good lineup. And I hope that he is able to reward that confidence I will be attending Monday night's game, so I also hope to get to see a nice game. It would be very fun if the Orioles were able to stretch out their winning streak to nine straight games. I am not getting my hopes up too much, but, you know, I, I just want to see some progress from Rodriguez because as as fun as this year is, it's really going to be a lot easier to picture a multiple-year run of success if the Orioles are able to turn Rodriguez into a functional big league starting pitcher, which he sure was not earlier this year. And, you know, now that the 2023 Orioles are going places, they can't just let him work it out at the big league level. So hopefully uh, he's worked out whatever needed to be worked out at Norfolk and can carry that forward against one of the National League's best offenses. So, yeah, the Dodgers, um, their their pitching staff, fortunately for the Orioles, is having much more of a struggle than their offense the Dodgers entered play on Sunday with a 4.41 ERA as a team. That is 11th in the National League. The two best Dodgers starting pitchers are on the injured list. That is for the season to date, Clayton Kershaw and Dustin May. They are just not, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not in the, in the picture right now for LA. The Dodgers closer, by the way, is former Oriole Evan Phillips, who was acquired in the Kevin Gossman trade with Atlanta. The Orioles gave him up for useless after Phillips posted a 7.36 ERA across three seasons here. Uh, The thing about that is Phillips has gone and posted a 1.84 ERA for the Rays and Dodgers since being discarded by the Orioles. Phillips has a 0.826 whip so far this season. So that's a big oops. Maybe... Quietly, one of the bigger oopses of Mike Elias in terms of getting rid of players during the rebuilding years when they still actually had some value to offer as major league players, though none are going to be more oops than Mike Yastrzemski, but we don't need to dwell on that. Let's talk a little bit about the starting pitchers lined up in this series. So again, on Monday, Grayson Rodriguez for the Orioles. He will be facing Dodgers rookie Emmett Sheehan, who will be making his fifth ever MLB appearance. I know, I know, I always am dreading here when I hear something like that. Sheehan was a sixth round pick in the 2021 draft. He jumped up from double A straight to MLB this year after striking out 88 batters in 53 and a third innings there. Although that could be as much to do with the need for the Dodgers and their injured pitchers than it is to do with uh, Sheehan's performance. He's done okay through his first four starts. Not great, not terrible. And, you know, hopefully the Orioles can hang a bad one on him. Uh, it is interesting that he went from being a six-round pick only two years ago to already being in an MLB rotation. I think maybe one marker of success for the Orioles' development program, especially now that they've drafted quite a few pitchers in the 2023 draft, is going to be whether they can take a pitcher from one of these uh, mid-day two rounds like the sixth round and, you know, quickly turn him in, get him on the assembly line and up to Baltimore. You know, uh, I guess we'll see if we got one of our 2025 picks moving so quickly Tuesday's game, the Orioles whip leader. And in fact, the major league baseball starting pitcher whip leader, Tyler Wells will be going up against Los Angeles Dodgers starter, Michael Grove, Grove has a 6.89 ERA in 11 games this season. Notably, left-handed batters have a 1.016 OPS against Grove this year, so probably the Orioles will be stacking the lefties there, and hopefully the weather will be conducive to parking a lot of balls on the flag court or farther out onto Utah Street. Wednesday, it's a day game. Dean Kramer will be facing his former organization. He's got a 1.38 ERA in his two July starts so far. Pitching for the Dodgers will be Julio Urias. He's got a 4.35 ERA across 13 games started this season. Urias' last two starts have also been good. Notably, he is a left-handed pitcher. He does not have any kind of platoon split this year, allowing a 731 OPS to right-handed batters. 7.45 OPS to left-handed batters this year. So actually, lefties are a little better against that lefty pitcher, at least so far this year. That's weird. I don't know what the Orioles will do with their lineup. That might depend on who is still nursing day-to-day injuries as, you know, on Sunday, both Cedric Mullins and Aaron Hicks ended up being outside of the starting lineup due to their injury situations. Mullins, quad strain Day-to-day, hopefully day-to-day proves to be true, and he does not need to go back on the injured list. I'm a little nervous about it because the quad is rather close to the groin that he strained before, and I feel like it's a little bit possible that it was actually a groin strain and they just announced it as a quad strain. Aaron Hicks had a little back tightness, didn't play on Sunday. So yeah, we'll see when the uh, lefties are back in the lineup because at least on Tuesday, it seems like the Orioles are going to need those guys. And, you know, they've been playing very well, so they're going to need them beyond just the Tuesday game as well. So that's the coming up Dodger series, and I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so you know, in the last episode, we were talking about starting rotation trade candidates, and one of the ones I thought looked the best was Cleveland Guardians' Pitcher Shane Bieber, who was said to be on the trade block, probably because the Guardians have a lot of pitching depth and maybe will want to shed an expensive player. Well, Bieber is now on the injured list with forearm tightness. I read on Twitter on Sunday that it's reportedly not currently looking like it will require any surgery, but there's going to be at least two weeks of no throwing for Bieber, And there's only two weeks to the trade deadline, so that's kind of wipes him out. He was second on my preference list, but now, no thanks. So, yeah, uh, the Orioles have one fewer guy to target. It looks like, oh, and speaking of players, they could maybe target another guy we talked about because of a mailbag earlier in this podcast is former Oriole Hunter Harvey. He is now reportedly possibly heading to the injured list with some forearm tightness of his own, so that's another possible bullpen target off the list. Mike Elias, what are you going to do to improve the pitching staff? Well, it will help if Rodriguez can come up and if Bradis can keep pitching like he's doing and, you know, if Kramer can do as well as he's done in July and if Tyler Wells can keep going even as he's crossed his career high innings threshold already. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of ifs. So, I, again, I just feel like they got to get a starting pitcher. I don't know. Uh, maybe they got to get a reliever too, and I don't know. It is two weeks from today for that deadline, so whatever Mike Elias is going to do, he's got 14 days. And in the mailbag today, listener Tristan wrote in to ask, what are your opinions of the current crop of mass and broadcasters? Tristan, thank you for writing in, and I will just tell you right now, I think Kevin Brown is great. I am not only saying that because his last name is also Brown, although that does delight me, especially because I have a cousin named Kevin Brown but it is not the mass and broadcaster, Kevin Brown. I think my honorary cousin, Kevin Brown, just commands facts about the Orioles very well. He's very fluent with modern analytics. He gets along great with both Jim Palmer and Ben McDonald, who are, of course, the two color uh, guys that we hear the most. It seems like they're both just delighted by Kevin Brown's dorkiness, as am I, being a fellow dork myself. Jim Palmer is an absolute legend Enough said about him, just he's amazing, his insights are good, and it always blows my mind when he just has lightning recall of like every batter he ever faced in his career. I think Ben McDonald has gotten better as time has gone along. He's more confident in the insights that he makes. Um, McDonald as well as Palmer, although they pitched a long time ago, much longer for Jim, they are both clearly up on the modern game uh, ben McDonald now has more than just a couple of Cajun cliches to throw out there, and I think that's good. Another play by play guy, Jeff Arnold, we hear a bit on Mass, and I think he's got a great voice for calling baseball games. I don't really have any complaints about his game calling. Um, I, some people who roll onto Camden Chat do occasionally, but I think Jeff is perfectly fine. It does seem like Jim and Ben are not nearly as amused by. Jeff's attempt at dork engaging them on a dorky level, uh, in the way that they are with Kevin Brown. So maybe Jeff needs to kind of find his own way to vibe with Jim Palmer, especially, and maybe Ben McDonald a little bit, uh, sometimes, although less as time has gone along, we even hear Scott Garceau and, you know, he's been doing Baltimore sports for, I think longer than I've been alive. Um, he'd also been doing like football focused afternoon drive time as his last job before being dragged back onto Masson in the pandemic year. And, you know, I think the, the biggest criticism about Garso is it really shows that that was his last job. And he, he really doesn't seem like he's been engaged with baseball since like the calendar turned into the two thousands, you know, like all of his stories stop in the nineties or even like the eighties, because you know, those were his uh, his glory days in the Baltimore sports scene, and the 80s were a long time ago. I'm sorry for uh, anyone who it hurts to hear that, but that is true. And, oh yeah, not to forget, one more voice we also hear on Masson, Melanie Newman. I enjoy her. I think she is always very prepared. I think she has a very dry wit that I enjoy. Um, Some people don't seem to always pick up on that, and that seems like those are the people who tend to be annoyed by her. The one little criticism I do kind of agree with some people with Newman is sometimes she does get a little behind uh, narrating game action in maybe putting a little bit more embellishment on describing plays such that, you know, like if you're describing a ground out where the guy gets thrown out at first, I do think there's times where maybe it takes her... A couple seconds after the batter is actually out to say, Oh, yeah, the batter runner is out. That's my one note on Melanie Newman, but I think she's delightful. I am happy that she is around calling Orioles games for as long as she wants to. I feel like Melanie Newman and also Kevin Brown probably have higher ceilings in their baseball game calling careers if they would like to than calling games for the Orioles. But You know, things are going great for the Orioles right now, and hopefully that makes this place a fun place for them to be because I am delighted by both of them. So, Tristan, thank you for the message. To everyone who's written in so far, thank you as well. If you have an Orioles opinion to share or a question you would like me to answer on a future episode, you can write camdencastpod at gmail.com. So before I wrap it up, let's go back to revisiting a prospect from our top camden uh, camden chat composite top orioles prospect list from before the season i've paused on that for a few episodes as we've been talking about the draft so today we'll get right back into it we're picking up with number nine that is connor norby who the orioles drafted with their second pick in the 2021 draft his triple a batting line through 84 games so far this season a 287 batting average 344 on base percentage 473 slugging percentage Pretty good, although not nearly as um, lighting the world on fire as some of the Orioles prospects who've been promoted, which is probably why, among other reasons, like 40-man roster math and whatnot, that Norby did not get called up while Jordan Westberg did, or even earlier in the year, Joey Ortiz did. Uh, If your OPS is in the 800s, that is just not as fun as if it's in the 900s or 1000s or whatever one reason why Norby's OPS is not as high for the season is he really scuffled in April. He's actually been playing pretty well since. That includes a 979 OPS in the month of July so far, two leadoff home runs over his last three games. That gives him 13 home runs for the season after hitting 29 in 121 games across three levels last year. So yeah, like at the same pace, if let's just round roughly round and say in 50% more games, give Norby 50% more homers. He would end up with 20 homers in the minor league season. That's not as fun as 29 homers. It's pretty basic math. Um, 29 is many more homers than 20. So Norby, I guess the question is, well, what is his power going to be playing like at the higher levels? And what we're probably going to be hoping is that some other team comes along and really thinks, OK, if we put this guy in our stadium, he's going to be like a 25 to 30 home run big league second baseman. I think that's the, the best case scenario. And if that's the case, the current number 66 prospect on the MLB pipeline prospect list is probably going to have some value in a trade to somebody that has Hope, I I hope it is a starting pitcher with years of control beyond just the rest of the 2023 season if the Orioles are going to give up a one of their top 100 caliber prospects because, uh, you know, it would sting if they give up someone really good and they just have a rental starting pitcher. If, if that's what has to be done, I will live with it, but that's what I'm hoping for. I have a feeling Mike Elias is hoping for it, too, We, I guess we'll see what kind of deals he can swing. Uh, The thing is, the more that the headliner is worth to another team, then the better a player the Orioles can get in return, or perhaps the fewer other lottery tickets they would also have to throw in to the trade. So, you know, does any team that is dangling a starting pitcher really, you know, are they camped out at Norfolk Games scouting Norby, scouting um, Cesar Prieto, scouting Joey Ortiz... What do they think of those guys? Well, fans like us are just not in a position to know. We're not really going to know who wanted who until we see if one of them is traded and, you know, who the Orioles ended up getting in return for that prospect. Again, we've got two weeks from today for that to happen for the 2023 season. I hope the Orioles can get a just, you know, I mean, my my dream is they can get like a top of the rotation, dude, for the next rest of this year and next year or something. But those guys don't just grow on trees. Even, you know, when you have a top uh, 20 prospect or even top 10 prospect in the game, as the Orioles did before this season in Grayson Rodriguez, you cannot just snap your fingers and have that guy turn into a top of the rotation pitcher immediately. So, yeah, it's it's hard to get your hands on pitching. Uh, That's why it's good that the Orioles finally started drafting some pitchers this year. Do they have a future big leaguer in the class? I sure hope they do. But for today, that's all I've got. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review about the show and tell an Orioles fan in your life. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Wednesday, hopefully with a couple of fun games against the Dodgers to talk about. In between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on camdenchat.com. There in the comments, I go by the name Eat More SK. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.